The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff, and I'm your host, also the Director of Advancement and Admissions here at the seminary. Before I get underway, I want to I want to share something that is that has me all excited, and that is that we have more applications at this time of year than we've ever had before going into the last week of June. We have over 30 applications, uh, mostly from men here in the United States, but a couple from abroad as well. And we're looking forward to what may be another record-breaking incoming class in the fall. Please be praying for us, particularly our faculty and staff, as we prepare to welcome another especially large class to Greenville Seminary in September, or in August, rather. Well, I have with me in the studio today, on the flip side, a graduate, a recent graduate, a man who just graduated with his degree from Greenville Seminary through our extension campus in Gateshead, England, Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My guest is Nathan John Hilton. Nathan, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Zach. So Nathan is currently a a member at, and an intern, I believe, at Gateshead Presbyterian Church in Gateshead, England, serving alongside of a PC. MTW missionary, Dr. Bill Schweitzer, who is actually here in the States for a period of time. But the work there is part of the EPCEW, which stands for the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England and Wales, which I would characterize as a fast-growing confessional um, denomination in England and Wales, the, the southern portion of the United Kingdom i.e. the non-Scottish portion, <laughs> non-Irish <laughs> portion. And uh, it's, 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 still, it's still small, but it is growing. It's energetic, it's confessional and Presbyterian in character, and uh, has close ties to Greenville Seminary, as well as other uh, strong confessional Presbyterian communities here stateside. Nathan, before we get into your experience of Greenville Seminary, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the EPCEW? When did it start? Sure. Um, well, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert in the history of the EPCEW, but what I do know is we had a Presbyterian conference in 1986, which uh, coincidentally was the year that I was born. Um, so it was a good year to be born. And that was held in London, and um, there were like-minded men who desire to see a revival of Presbyterianism in England. The year after the conference in 87, they started something called the Presbyterian Association in England. So they were seeking for opportunities to bring about this church that they desired. And then in 1991, um, they set up their first interim presbytery and in 96 officially became the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in England and Wales. And we started them with five congregations. And now, 22 years later, we have 19 uh, counting the missions works. Uh, so the Lord has been good to the EPCW. Yeah, that's not slow growth. 19 doesn't sound like a lot, but if you consider the fact that they began with five in a place that's really difficult for Presbyterians historically, we're talking about England and Wales here, uh, that's almost a 400% growth over 20 years. So in the next 20 years, if they keep up the pace and they could grow by another uh, another factor of four, then uh, then we'll see around 80 congregations. So Yeah, praise the Lord. I hope so. Yeah, that would be 
quite overwhelming in, that in be 20 years. But yeah. all things are possible with Christ. Yeah, the Lord is able to do it. Yes. So, Nathan, tell us a little bit about yourself. When did you come um, to saving faith in Jesus Christ? And, and did, that, did the EPCW play into your personal testimony of conversion as well? Yeah, they did. Um, the mother church of Gator Presbyterian Church was in a town called Durham, uh, which is an historic Christian town. My wife was raised in that church, and my parents met my wife's parents at a doctor's surgery in a, a situation that, that seemed to be completely random and chance. Of course, it was the Lord's good providence. And my mother and my now mother-in-law worked out that one another were Christians. And at the time, my my parents had been out of church for at least 10 years, and they were invited to go back to Durham Presbyterian Church. And it was in my parents going back there that they had this revived interest in praying for my conversion. And at the time, meanwhile, uh, I was in complete darkness um, from my teenage years through to 22, which is when I was converted. Uh, I was just knee-deep in sin, uh, and lived a, a completely depraved, depraved life, which was was really tragic. And one day, I was invited to go for a church walk with uh, the saints in Durham. And at the same time, they'd they'd begun the exploratory Bible studies in Gateshead, which became the church plant. And I met my future pastor there. I met my future father-in-law, and I met one of my future elders. In fact, all three. Um, now our elders in the church and I talked to them about my weird ideas and my sad situation and they were just they were really kind uh, they listened to me um, I looked an absolute mess um, but yeah they were very gracious and that was that was one of the factors that led me to Christ at the same time I, I used to read philosophy and I'd come to a Christian philosopher and reading him I was also a uh, Interested, made to be interested in, in the scriptures again. And and then I just, I started to read the scriptures. Uh, my family were praying for me. And I got to a point around Christmas at the end of 2008 where I cried out to the Lord and I wept having come home from the pub drunk. And I, I asked that the Lord would show himself to me. And um, he didn't appear as he did to Paul on the road to Damascus, but... The following day, I had no appetite for sin, uh, and I just I had a, a sense that I needed to be in church and with God's people. And as it would happen, um, Gateshead Presbyterian Church started public worship January 2009, so the time was absolutely perfect. And I think in the February um, I first visited, the pastor um, showed an immediate interest. We started doing all things together. Um, I attended a Christianity Explored course where the gospel was clearly explained, and yeah, midway through that course, I I could say that Christ was my Lord and Savior, and my life was completely transformed. Um, I'm a radically different person now because of Christ who lives in me, um, and I just loved coming into the Word. And so Gateshead Presbyterian Church, that plant, was yeah so instrumental in, in bringing me to where I am now. I didn't know what a, a Calvinist was. I didn't know what a Presbyterian was. Um, and 
yeah, in God's kindness, I was saved into a Presbyterian church, and, and I'm so thankful for that. Especially in England. It's a very special <laughs> providence. It's an incredible providence because, yeah, Presbyterianism has not done well in England. In fact, the, the place that I'm going to go to, Lord willing, to church plant did have Presbyterian churches in the 18th century and through to the 19th century. It did quite well there. Um, it didn't throughout the country. Um, and then sadly, by the early 20th century, those churches just turned liberal and died, um, which is so depressing. And they became part of a liberal denomination in the 1970s, and that was the end of Presbyterianism. So, yeah, when the EPCW started, they were like, I don't know, 90% of all Presbyterians in England, and I don't know what <laughs> the population of England, it would be like 0.000000001% Presbyterian or something. Um, but we thank God um, for his his grace and his power to work through his people in those men in the early days. Nathan, you you were saved in an EPCEW church. We praise the Lord for that amazing providence. What has what then led you? What factors drove you to to discover and to cultivate and nourish an inward sense of call to the ministry? Did that happen right off the bat, or did that develop over time because of other things that were going on in your life? Well, it happened in a nicely Presbyterian way. Um, so uh, before I was converted, I had an interest in philosophy and. After being converted, my interest uh, switched to theology. And so at the very beginning of my Christian life, I, I wanted to read good books. And again, because I'd been brought into a Presbyterian church, my pastor, a PCA man, um, immediately had me reading John Calvin. We started a reading group, and every Saturday we would meet and read through the institutes together. He introduced me to uh so good, good Southern Presbyterians. Um, so I fell in love with Dabney in the first year or two of my Christian life. I read through his systematic theology and I just loved that. And yeah, I, I'd never read anything like it before. And having come to know the Lord, it was, it was just like light to my soul and I couldn't get enough of it. Now it was my session, uh, my elders that the first then kind of put to me, do you want to, you know, try teaching in the church and let's see if you have a teaching gift. I guess they detected that the Lord had worked very powerfully in my life. And so they gave me an opportunity and I started to teach occasional Bible studies at the midweek meetings. And I thought they were pretty bad and, and they probably were, but um, the, the session were able to see through that and detected that I had a gift from the Lord. Um, or at least they, they thought that I had a gift from the Lord and, and they encouraged me to continue um so I did have an absolute love for God's word, a love for theology, um, and a desire uh, started to grow within me to to go into gospel ministry. But it, it was perfect because I had that internal call from the Lord that, that grew in strength and, and continues to grow. And then I also had the, the external call and the encouragement of the session of the church. And, and without that, I don't think I'd have continued. So the Lord worked perfectly through his church and in my own heart to draw me to Christian ministry. The situation there in Gateshead is one that's quite felicitous as well for men that are called to the ministry because you have one of, one of very few places in all of the United Kingdom, and especially in England, 
to enjoy solid biblical reformed confessional theological instruction at the seminary level through our arrangement with Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Can you tell us a little bit about that arrangement generally and then your experience of it as a student? Yeah, um, so as Presbyterianism started to grow again in England and we had men interested uh, in the ministry, they found themselves at a loss as to where they could study and, and generally they had to cross the sea and come to America. But then uh, there's always a problem because they would come here and they would meet nice American women and uh, they would enjoy the sunshine and um, and various other things and then they just wouldn't come back um, for various reasons, which was really tragic. Pause. I hope our American listeners are hearing this. Yes, it is the case. When English people visit America, they might actually want to stay here because England isn't all like Hogwarts and tea time, right? It's a lot of clouds <laughs> and rain and cold. <laughs> yeah, it's clouds, it's rain, it's it's cold. With that, the people are kind of grumpy and a bit miserable. We're pessimistic. We always find things to complain about. And then we come to America and we just, we, we can't believe how positive uh, our American brothers and sisters are, especially. Like it just blows us away. And, and it's it's really refreshing actually to be around American believers and Americans in general, uh, we found them to be extremely welcoming, kind and loving. And yeah, I'm just looking out of the window now and it looks like snow, but I'm assuming it's not given it's like 35 degrees Celsius outside. What is that? I don't know Blossom? what that is in Fahrenheit. That, that's stuff from the trees out, out my window. I mean, it's a beautiful <laughs> day in South Carolina. It doesn't look like England. Uh, I just wanted to make that slight diversion because here in America, we tend to romanticize England and make it out to be like this magical land. And and surely it is a blessing to be placed by the Lord in a place where so much gospel opportunity and such a rich heritage and a Christian heritage that, that can be reappropriated to reach a, a secular post-Christian environment. Um, but at the same time, Americans have, and I harp on, on us for this, have a tendency toward um, toward being Anglophiles. And, and I mean, you can, anyway, we, we won't go there. But somebody asked a question of Dr. Piper in a Faith yeah. and Practice episode once. How come uh, British, um, either Irish, Scottish, or English, or even Welsh or Australian and South African preachers are so popular in America? <laughs> it's pure, I mean, I think it's largely aesthetic. Sure, the content is generally quite good for many of these men. But I think it's just it's the accents and the romanticization you, of you the don't foreign. think that we just have a gene for excellent preaching in our blood and <laughs> I you know I'm I'm not I don't think like that so <laughs> no I don't I don't think in those kinds of terms no do I I I, I think it's probably the accent um, well I mean and the other thing is um in a in a culture that that I'm used to back in England it's so hostile to Christianity that. You, you really, really have to love the Lord to be willing to tell anybody you're a Christian or you go to church. And when, you, when you're when you born again into an environment like that, it, it really cultivates a serious mindedness about the faith, a genuine love for the Lord and a love for his church, which is like you, you sense the, the kind of the idea that it's a refuge. Uh, it's so refreshing each Lord's Day to come and to be with God's people and to be in his worship. And I do. I wonder if if some of that just means that the the few English, Welsh, Scots people that you meet um, 
are from that very small community and uh, they come across with yeah, just a great love for the Lord and um, a commitment to biblical truth. You know, when you're in a hostile environment, it, it sharpens you and you care about it more. Mm-hmm. When you're pressed and refined that, that way, I think um, I think the the product will be a more fervent faith and preaching. And I believe that's a biblical conviction as well. So setting that conversation aside, as, as refreshing and, and as helpful as that is, let's get back to our, our narrative telling here. So the, the men were recognizing this problem. Englishmen going across the pond to the States for theological education and then not coming back. That's not very good for the church, right, as it's seeking to grow. And so they established... Uh, a seminary in Gateshead with a with an organic connection to Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Yeah, that's right. So as we surveyed the American seminaries, um, we, my minister and I and another like-minded men in the denomination um, fell in love with Greenville. It's thoroughly orthodox, confessional, Presbyterian, has a great emphasis on preaching the pastoral ministry. Um, and so this was going to be the place that we wanted to work with. And um, again, in the Lord's goodness, uh, one of our ministers was on the board here, the Reverend Ian Hamilton. He was ministering at Cambridge Presbyterian Church. And so he he connected me and uh, another student who came before me uh, to the seminary, which meant that when my pastor sort of set up the Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary, it was natural to... Um, pursue that relationship with Greenville and it's been a very good one Uh, we started officially in 2013 and we were in um, my poor pastor's office which we rented at the time and I'm not joking it was smaller than Zach's cupboard Um, it was like Zach's cupboard and it had no windows and 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 Bill my pastor would sit in there and there was a second desk for the intern at the time and then when we had, we would have like Greenville professors come over and teach. In the early days, we had Dr. Shaw and there were three students, my pastor and Dr. Shaw in a cupboard with no windows. And I don't know what Dr. Shaw thought when he like got there to Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Um, but it was amazing. And uh, we don't despise the day of small things. The Lord was was great. We also had a tiny um, little wooden unit that that housed about twenty books, and that was our library. <laughs> so we had this this little cupboard, and then within a slightly bigger cupboard, and that was our seminary. But the Lord has the Lord has been extremely kind. We were able to move to a bigger uh, location, and we're just now in the process of moving to an even bigger one. Um, the Lord has brought students along the way um, at varying degrees of commitment to the seminary so there are some studying full-time some are part-time some are really part-time but that's one of the beauties of uh, Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary we're able to offer on-campus education both through UK professors and then US professors who kindly come over to us but then we're able to patch in with the online courses at Greenville and it makes it super flexible um, it means that you can study at whatever kind of rate suits your family situation and your work situation. Yeah, and this year in Hebrew, I, I took first year Hebrew this this past fall and spring, and we I had a classmate um, in the UK, Benjamin Mitchell, who would who would video conference in, and it was about I don't know nine thirty in the morning for us, 
But for him, I think we figured this out. It was something like 3.30 or, or 4.30 in the yeah. afternoon or something like that. 2.30. 2:30. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It would start at 2.30. It would, be, it would end uh, by 4 in the afternoon on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And Ben can testify to this, and so can Nathan. I mean, when you do that, you are actively involved in the class. You're called upon. You're able to ask questions in real time. And then if you're not able to video conference in, you, you receive an MP3 uh, audio recording of the class and you hear the distance students engaging with the resident students and it's a blessing to all of us because from our perspective it's actually really encouraging and cool to have students alongside of you in england in south korea in uganda and we we've had these guys in our classes with us in south africa and so um what what a blessing that is to and, and how how it inspires us then to have a global outlook and mindset as we prepare to go into local church ministry here in the States or if in God's providence we're called abroad. But, you know, this global outlook, this this commitment to a global reformation of the church and evangelization of the nations, this is something that's knit into the fabric of the Greenville Seminary experience. And, and I'm sure that's shared by our brothers, uh, both in Gateshead, England, and also in Randburg, South Africa, through John Wycliffe Theological College, which is our other extension campus where we have a similar arrangement. Even in Gateshead, we have a man from Malaysia, a man from Pakistan, a man from Ireland, a man from Switzerland, and then an Englishman, all studying at the same time with American brothers, and then the various nationalities that you have represented here. And the online service is tremendous. It, it, it's, it's both very helpful and very terrifying because it means that you don't get a free pass. So when I studied uh, Greek with Dr. Dyer, um, he would, yeah, he would go around the class. We'd all get a verse to translate. And I wasn't off the hook. I had to translate and I had to pass. And that was excellent because without that, I'd have just been lazy. Um, well, <laughs> if God, God were gracious and upheld me, maybe I wouldn't have been lazy. But... I needed that extra help, and it was fantastic to be part of the class and to be involved in the the class discussions and to be able to stop the professor and ask questions. It was it was really yeah a rich learning experience. How much would you say you you had a live professor for in Gateshead versus having the the online experience? Yeah, it's a good question. When we first started, um, we had maybe two modules per term that were UK based. And we now have managed to move up to four modules per term. So something like 60% UK, 40% Greenville. But that would also depend on which courses I needed and which courses my you know fellow students needed. Um, and we would just, yeah, patch in with whatever, whatever else we needed and, and depending on the term. So, yeah, the Lord has been very kind. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing now to have four modules taught by UK lecturers at the campus in Gateshead. And even there, we, we have a very flexible system. So to allow the very best of men to come and teach, uh, we do week-long intensives, and they'll come up for a week. And then we also have weekly classes at the seminary, and we also can do Skype classes uh, on a weekly basis with ministers who are down in you know South Wales or wherever else. Um, so it's, it's been great, very good. From what I understand, Dr. McGraw, our resident systematic theologian here at Greenville in Taylor's, South Carolina, will be going over 
to Gateshead this summer to to teach a course. I don't know off the top of my head which course he's teaching. Ecclesiology and polity. Yeah, okay. So he's teaching his ecclesiology and polity class in England, um, teaching on the Westminster Confession of Faith and Westminsterian Presbyterianism in a place that does not associate Westminster with Presbyterianism largely. I mean, talking about the country as a whole, not talking about the seminary, the extension campus. Uh, but we've had, uh, I believe, Dr. Piper go over there. You already mentioned Dr. Shaw. Dr. McGraw has been there before. He taught a yeah. class on Owen last yeah, year. Yeah, he did. And um, and uh, has Dr. Kurt, has Dr. Curto gone over there as well? He keeps trying to, yeah. and then his <laughs> schedule never allows it. Yeah. Um, so I've also I've tried very hard to get him. And I met him yesterday in the corridor upstairs, and he he um, he repledged to be in Gateshead at some point. So. We pray that we'll see him soon. He spends a lot of time in Austria and Switzerland and uh, and then in various parts of Africa, uh, particularly East and Central Africa, and then also in, uh, in India. He'll go over there occasionally to Southern southern and Central India. So he's definitely a world traveler. Um, surprised to hear he hasn't been to Gateshead yet, but if there, where there's a will, there's a way with yeah. Dr. Curto. So I'm sure he'll get there um eventually so now at this point i want to switch gears a little bit tell us a bit about uh, the work prospectively that you're hoping to go into the the call that you're exploring along with the leadership of the epcew to begin a new work in sunderland one of the great things about westminster presbyterian theological seminary is that it is uh, closely associated with my home church gated presbyterian church and so in fact my pastor is also the principal of wpts and one of the the ideas when we set up the seminary was that we could have a situation where men are able to intern at the church in a church planting situation whilst receiving their seminary education. And the idea is that men would be prepped and trained to become church planters so that we can immediately uh, feed into the growth of Christ Church through the English Presbyterian Church. And because of that, uh, the opportunity came up in Sunderland, which is a town on the coast in the northeast of England. It has 300,000 people living there. It's served by just a few small evangelical-ish churches. And yeah, there was there was an opportunity. My family are all from Sunderland. When Gateshead started, a bunch of us were saved and brought into the church. And there were others still there asking for something similar to Gateshead. We also had members at the church who were commuting to Gateshead from Sunderland. So we had these these reasons to begin a work. Now, because I was still finishing seminary, my, my pastor started this two years ago with me as kind of his assistant. And we've just been meeting monthly. But slowly, over the two years, we've developed a good core group of people who have fallen in love with the exposition of the word in the way that I did when I first came to Gateshead. They love one another and they desire to see a church in the city. They they really have a heart for evangelism. They want to see the Lord's spirit at work and, and bringing many souls to Christ. And, and so that's the thing we're pursuing. And it's really encouraging because Sunderland, like to look at now, is, is like a grim place in every way. Um, unemployment is high. They have all kinds of social problems. It's a working class community and spiritually like almost dead with the exception of a few small faithful churches. And yet it hides a remarkable history 
uh, it was a town built up out of Christian communities. So going all the way back to the 7th century, the the man we know as the Venerable Bede was born in Sunderland. He worked there at his monastery, the earliest surviving complete copy of the Latin Vulgate was produced in Sunderland. They made two of them. One was lost. Um, they lost theirs, which is a shame. The other one was gifted to the Pope. Um, <laughs> not that we encourage giving gifts to the Pope, but but this one was, and it was preserved. It's now in a museum in Florence. It's considered one of the most beautiful books in existence. And so Sunderland grew up out of these Christian communities all the way through the Middle Ages and up till the time of the Reformation where the town was supporters of the parliamentarians at the time of the Civil War in England. And because of that, they had armies coming down from Scotland who introduced Presbyterianism to Sunderland. And so I was just amazed, looking back at the history, we had nearly 20 Presbyterian churches that were confessional and evangelical. Thomas Chalmers preached in Sunderland, the great 19th century Scottish divine. And they even had a, a big Presbyterian school that all of the local kids would go to. Um, and there's there's this amazing uh, fact I came across that the parents petitioned the local government to pass a law that would allow them to opt out, allow them to opt their children out of learning the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So in the 19, well, 1800s leading up to the 1900s, the children of Sunderland were in Presbyterian schools learning the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the town and city itself was absolutely thriving. Um, it was once a very prosperous city. And then as we got into the 20th century, um, people turned from the Lord and, and the city died a death. Um, everything came to a halt, all of its industry. The churches died and went liberal and it's now just a miserable place. It's it's now the Nazareth of England, uh, if you remember Nathaniel's comments. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what people say of Sunderland, but it does hide this remarkable spiritual heritage, and you can see an immediate kind of correlation between the spiritual decline and the social and the economic decline in that place. Um, it's unbelievable, like, the way that people have turned from the Lord, and um, and they've just, yeah, they've suffered because of it. But... We believe that God doesn't forget and, and he's made promises to the people of that place. He's been promising to be God to them and God to their children after them and to a thousand generations for 1300 years. And it's only in the last 80 years that the whole thing came to a halt. So we believe with, with prayer and diligence, the Lord can reawaken his work in the city of Sunderland. So we go excited I mean, think about 1,300 years of Christians praying for the spiritual prosperity of that place. All of those prayers throughout all of that time, the Lord can absolutely answer them now. And I believe that he will. And I believe that he is already. When are you hoping to get underway? And what does that look like with this small core group of people who already have attachment to the church in Gateshead and desire a work geographically rooted in Sunderland? We've been meeting for the last couple of years just as monthly meetings in um, a person's home there that's interested in the work. We, When I get back from America, I'm here for eight weeks trying to... Um, develop connections and partnerships with U.S. churches that will help us to get the work started. When I get back, I'm going to 
be serving in Sunderland, we'll go up to fortnightly meetings, we'll move to weekly, and the the plan is that if the Lord continues to be with us and to bless the work as he has been, that we'll begin public worship in February 2019, which is, is great timing. Um, another one of our missions works in Hexham, which is about 60 miles to the west of where we are. The The minister there is another PCA man, and he's going to be spending five to six months back here in the U.S., so I'll be able to provide some pulpit supply there whilst labouring in Sunderland, um, and then, yeah, with a view to starting worship in February, um, which we're very excited about. What kind of space will you have? Do you know yet? Is that arranged? We don't. Um, our current church in Gateshead meets in a community centre. It's It's pretty ugly, but it's functional, and it reminds us that the church is not the building but the people that meet there the lord has really blessed the work the rent is low it keeps the cost down so we'd we'd look at something similar in sunderland and when i get back i'll i'll start to look at you know schools and community centers and and that sort of thing and we'll just look for a space to rent initially but one of the one of the well kind of tragedies but opportunities is that so many of our older churches have been turned into sort of businesses and become derelict. In England. In England. Yeah, the older church buildings in general are being converted to other uses. But there are many of them that are going up for sale and, you know, they don't ask for too much for these buildings. Now, going into a church plant, we don't want any burden hanging over the people there. But if the Lord prospers and blesses us, then there could be an opportunity to reclaim one of these historic places of worship, which would be a real joy. Yeah. As you and your family consider these tectonic changes that are about to come down into your lives, how can we and how can our listeners be praying for you? I mean, obviously the general ones, please establish a work in Sunderland. Please bless uh, the work with with with, with growth in, in both maturity, spiritual maturity, but also in numbers. And and may they be a gospel beacon in a dark place that's suffering. And But are there other specific prayer requests that we could bring before the throne of grace on your behalf? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I believe that as we go forward uh, building Christ church, it's to be expected that there'll be spiritual opposition. I believe that the, the evil one has, has already been testing us at, at various times with with health trials and and all kinds of kind of unexpected um, occurrences that, yeah, have, you know, they've driven us to our knees in prayer. And, and so I would really pray for spiritual protection, that we'd be kept um, from the attacks of the evil one, my family and I, and the session at Gateshead, that, yeah, others would rally around us with prayer support. But also, I'm told that Robert Murray McShane used to say that uh, your people's greatest need is your ungodliness. And I just pray that, yeah, and ask your listeners to pray that the Lord would bless my soul, that he'd help me to be disciplined in uh, reading his word and in prayer and preparation, uh, and that he'd fill my heart with, with grace and love for him, that I might be equipped to serve his people. Um, so I'm really praying for that, for my wife too, and my children where we're relocating, we need you know, a place to be and um, new friends and a new situation. And, and I just pray that the Lord would also be gracious and kind to my wife and help her to be wise and, and patient and, yeah, and, and just know how to adjust herself and, 
and so that we can care for our family and be a good example to the Christians we'll work amongst. So, yeah, pray for the spiritual well-being of, of my family, of my own soul, and for the protection of our session. Um, and I think that would be, yeah, that would be amazing. We also, you know, uh, we're looking for these partners um, to help us in the work. The church in England is small. It's difficult to make it happen. Uh, if anybody wanted to be praying for us or to support us, that would be a tremendous help. We have a, a website for the work. It's www.sunderlandprayers.org.uk and I am signed up as a missionary with the Global Service Network and that's just www.globalservicenetwork.org and you can search for my name, Nathan Hilton, and find out about the work and there are opportunities to support us there as well. We have men in England, um, in the EPCEW, like uh, like we mentioned before, Dr. Bill Schweitzer serving through MTW, he's ordained in the PCA. We also have um, Reverend Benjamin Wantrip, another recent graduate of GPTS, who is here with us in residence for much of his time, but also interning in Gateshead, uh, I think even for most of his time studying. And he's actually, he's reversed what we were talking about before. He's from Virginia, um, and he married a, a woman from England. Yeah, right? and, and he just came for like a year yeah. or two tops, but then he, he fell in love with the country and with his wife. And he decided to stay. So yeah. praise the Lord for that. So you see, it cuts both ways. You can, in fact, as an American, go to England and, and stay. Uh, it's not always us uh, robbing the, the meager <laughs> treasuries of uh, men called to the ministry in and from England and Wales. Yes, yeah, so we have Benjamin, we have Dr. Schweitzer, we have Nathan, we have other men over there. And, and the, the support is obviously bearing fruit. The investment in these guys is is clearly bringing forth much gospel fruit in a time that otherwise would be devoid of, of biblical, confessional, reformed Presbyterianism uh, in in the land of of its birth. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I know everyone. We all say Scotland is a land of Presbyterians' birth, but. The Westminster Standards were written up in London, right? Yeah. Nathan, thank you so much for coming. You've given us so much detail in vivid living color of of what of what your experience was as a GPTS slash WPTS student in England. Do you have any parting thoughts for us before I let you go? Yeah, parting thoughts. I would um, encourage your listeners and any uh, interested in a seminary education and pursuing a call to the ministry wherever they are to come to GPTS, if they can, you know, afford the uh, airfare, get across to England and come to WPTS, do it with us uh, eventually through Greenville. But I, I don't think you'll find a, a better place uh, to come and to train to be a pastor. The instruction here has been excellent. It's been solid and orthodox. The, the lecturers clearly have a heart and a concern for the men that they're training, preparing for ministry, and a heart and concern for Christ's church, and, and I think that's why they do it. So I would encourage your listeners to uh, log on to GPTS's website and sign up and add to that uh, number of, I think you said, 30 students coming this year? Well, that's over 30 men who have begun their applications. Okay, praise yes. the Lord. Well, let's double it. <laughs> yeah, well, we can certainly pray for that. Um, 
We max out at 25 residence students, but we can have as many distance students as our bandwidth allows, and it allows a lot more than 25. So please, if you're thinking about seminary education, go to www.gpts.edu or send me an email to zgroff at gpts.edu. I would love to have a conversation. I want to hear about your call to the ministry, just as we've heard about Nathan's today, and I want to determine with you if GPTS might be a good fit. You know, I don't presume to say that, yes, every single man on the face of planet Earth called to the gospel ministry must come to Greenville Seminary. I might think that, but I won't say it. Um, but at the, very, at the very least, I want to be a help to you as you do consider where it is the Lord might have you go to be equipped for gospel ministry. Nathan, thank you again for joining us. I hope that you and your family have a wonderful stay here stateside. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.